How many people have your Bible here today? If you have your Bible, stand up and raise it above your head and bear witness of God's Word. What a beautiful sight. What a beautiful group of people here on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. I do need to tell you this. When you start a service with giving God an offering of praise like that, expect Him to be here. All right? If you start a service not giving Him an offering, singing out the back of your throat instead of out the front, uh, not for, don't expect to do anything but come here and have a social gathering. Do you want Him here today? Amen. Amen. Well, you started the right way. Now you've got the next thing in order. You've got His Word. Are you ready to hear Him speak? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, James chapter 4. Philippians chapter 2, James chapter 4. Today uh, I'm excited about what we're going to talk about. Uh, I want to start in the book of James here in chapter 4. In chapter 4 there's a common uh, passage of Scripture. I know I've used it a lot of times. And uh, I've used it to describe life. And so today I want you to be able to look at your life. But I don't want you just to be able to look at your life. I want you to look at, at two lives together. I want you to look at the life of Jesus Christ, what He gave to you. And then I want you to look at your life in context. Because you see, Every time, every single time that, you know, you sit down and God reveals to you what He wants you to preach. You know, I realize I'm just a vessel in between. But to me, you know, I came in here this morning thinking, hey, this is revelational. This is going to change your life completely and you're going to leave here a completely different person because it changes my life completely. And I know sometimes I'm the most excited one in the room about it. But understand, you have an opportunity today to have the Lord completely change your mind by what He's going to show you. And I'm convinced, convinced, if you can grasp this today, it will, it will take your life. If you've never accepted the Lord, it will leave you in a place to where you can't wait to. When the service is over, you'll be right here. And you'll say, I want to make sure of that. But if you have accepted the Lord, there will be no inhibitions about you. You'll want to come and be able to. To make sure your life is where it needs to be with Him. In James chapter 4, James was speaking to believers. And when you get down to verse 13, 14, in this area, he's trying to, to give you a picture of sort of the way that we are right now. He starts in verse 13. And in verse 13 he says, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city. We will buy, we will sell, we will get gain. Now that's us guys. That's us. We all have a plan for what we want to do, don't we? We have a plan for tomorrow, a plan for our career, a plan for our education, a plan for for this, a plan for our dinner, a plan for where we're going to go, a plan for our vacation. Here's what we're going to do. It's all set up. Go to you now. Ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, we will buy, we will sell, we will get gain. We already have a plan, not just a plan, a plan that works. This fellow said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay there a year. I'm going to make it. It's going to work. The next verse, the next verse, read, chapter, read verse 14. Verse 14 says, you say that whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. You don't even know if you'll be here tomorrow. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. I'm in a position where I see people's tomorrows change all the time. And then it gives this statement. It says, for what is your life? Hey, big question. What is your life? And then answer. You know, our life. 
Well, let me tell you what my life is. I started here and I went to school here and I finished with this degree and then I went to work here and then I, I got this title here and then I've had children here and I own this land and I have my title here and this is the, the properties I own. These are the vehicles I own. I mean, this is registered to me. My life is made up of, you could read my mail and see what my life is, right? What is my life? Oh, hold on a second. Here's a humbling thought. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. See, all these years, you know, I, I read that scripture and I think, hey, it, me, when I think, I, hey, I, I've secured my spot in life and what is my legacy going to be and this and that. You know, I, I'm just a vapor. I'm just a vapor. My life is a vapor. What is this? It, it's, it comes up. It's that lid that's lifted off the pot. And I remember, I remember in those days, you know, before we had the, the instant pot. I know we're having the classes here, right? My mom, we grew up in the country. My mom cooked potatoes every day. Cream potatoes. Not mashed potatoes. I didn't even know what mashed potatoes were until I went to college. We called them cream potatoes. And somebody said mashed potatoes in college. I said, I've never had mashed potatoes. What are they? Is that when you mash them up with your fork? No, that's, that's when you, I said, no, that's cream potatoes. Anyway, she made cream potatoes. <laughs> Guess how they started? In the pressure cooker, right? Had that little thing on top. And guess what kept coming out? Steam. But you only saw it for a little bit. And then it what? It's, it's that vapor. It comes up and it dissipates, right? And so I looked at this verse all this time saying, what is my life? My life, hey, it's just it's so temporary. It comes up. I, I'm planning all this stuff. And I'm guilty of that, wanting to plan this and plan that. And all my worries are based around what I think should happen. What about you? Anybody? So, in studying this, I have a whole different take on this because I wanted you to see how important the vapor is. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, Paul, he spends the first part of this chapter in verses 5 through 11. The first part of this chapter, we know this. This is common material to us. We love to hear it. Let me read it to you. Verse 5, Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven things of earth things under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you know that verse always receives big amens and it should right? We see that Jesus must have really pleased God right? To where we, we have a verse that says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Those verses uh, let us see that we should have the mindset of Christ, the desire to give ourselves to do what God would have us to do. Does everybody agree? So for someone who is a believer, we hear this and we say, yes, I want to do what the Lord would have me to do. But in our minds we think, what can I really do to add to what Jesus has done? And you know, I've had this thought. I want to live my Christian life. What can I add to what He's done? So let me ask you, I want to start with a couple of questions. How many people believe that Jesus is the one that has done everything that we needed to have done to pay the price for our sin and give us a way to have our sins forgiven? Does anybody believe that? 
And I believe that too. But do you know that God wants you to add to what Jesus has already done? Oh, now for some staunch Christians here that are saying, can't add to what Jesus has done. I want you to keep thinking that. There's a lot of people, Christians, who rest in the fact that Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for us to please God. But I need to give you something this morning that I hope will change you. Jesus has not done everything that needs to be done for us to please God. Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for Him to please God. Now wrap your mind around this. This is big. Jesus has done everything that he needs to do to please. This is about Jesus. This isn't about us. It says, let your mind be like him. You know what it's saying? Hey, if you want to please God, then you do this. Jesus has already pleased God. He's given him a name above every name. You're getting this, right? You see, sometimes we can become complacent in our relationship with God, even though we recognize who God is and we recognize what Jesus has done to bring us to God, in the midst of singing, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe, we stop with the thought that Jesus paid it all and there's nothing that I can do to add to what Jesus has done. But what we need to see today is that God tells us clearly in His Word there is something that we need to add to what Jesus has done. Something that God expects from us, something that God wants us to put with Jesus' sacrifice in order for God to be pleased with us. Something He wants us to put with. I hope I've got your attention. I hope you're sitting there and saying, listen, Pastor, you're stepping out on a limb. You're saying Jesus hadn't done everything. Jesus has done everything He needs to do for Him to please God. God wants you to put something with His sacrifice. If you're sitting there and saying, all I need is Jesus' sacrifice, yes, to save you, but not to please God. You interested? So, normally we stop reading Philippians 2 here at verse 11 when we're giving praise to, to Jesus, acknowledging that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. But we fail to see that Paul was saying, just like Christ poured out His life for us, we need to pour out our life to please God. That's the statement Paul's making in this chapter. He said in verse 12, to work out our own salvation. Do you see that? Meaning that we're to continue to do something with our life after we're saved. In verse 13 he says, For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. He's saying we were not given our salvation just so that we could be glad that we're saved and that we've avoided hell. When we get saved God indwells us through the Holy Spirit as Paul says, It is God that worketh in you. And why is He working in us? Answer, both to will and to do His good pleasure. He wants us to do something with the salvation that He's given us. He wants us to do something with His holy presence that's within us. Yes, He wants us to praise Him. And He wants us to praise Him for who He is. He wants us to praise what Jesus has done to give us salvation. But He wants us to add to what Jesus has done. Why is this so important? Do you realize that in the church of today, the new church that has started, not everyone, but the typical church... The model is that you come in and you recognize everything that God has done and you praise Him and praise Him and you praise Him in song. Is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. Because when you start praising Him with song like we did this morning, His Spirit, He'll be pleased with what you've offered to Him. You've offered Him praise, you've offered Him prayer, and, and you'll be able to be with Him. But do you understand 
that in a lot of those cases, you can just go into there and recognize what Jesus has done and what God has done, but then you're not required to do anything. You're not required to go out and do anything. You're not required to give anything of yourself. You can just keep coming back in there and praising God for what He's done and praising God for what He's done. You say, well, that's okay. That's not okay. You say, why? It's all about what Jesus has done. Yes, Jesus, we praise Him for what He's done, but do you realize there's a part that you play in here? I know this is dangerous territory. I love to be in dangerous territory because I think it sticks in your mind a little bit better. You know, when we hear that we need to add to what Jesus has done, and I've heard so many testimonies that say, I can't add anything to what He's done. You know what I'm going to tell you? Then you'll never please God. Are you still that strong about it? Listen, I'm going to say what I've said before. I don't want you to take my word for it today. I'm going to give you scripture to walk you through it, and then you can decide, okay? You come to me afterwards and say, hey, I disagree with you. I would love to talk to you. You see, when we hear that, we may immediately say, we can't add to what Jesus has done, but you'll see through God's Word today that not only can you add to the sacrifice of Jesus, God expects you to. And in order for God to be pleased with you, you have to add to it. I want to read to you verses 14 through 18 of Philippians 2 now. It says, Do all things without murmuring and disputings, that you may be blameless, harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. This is Paul writing, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice of service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. Now, we fail to read this or we fail to look into it a lot of times, but I want you to see something here. This was Paul writing. He was writing this letter to the church at Philippi from a prison cell in Rome. And he saw their works and he was saying, I know that it's not in vain. Verse 16, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. That means everything that he's done, every beating he's taken, being locked up was not for a a bad cause or any cause. But I, I want you to see verse 17. It's the key. You see, Paul had basically given his life for these Philippians in his service. He was in prison. He said, it's not in vain because what Jesus did for you, I added to it. You say, is that that vain for Paul to say? No, he was going to be biblical here in verse 17. He used this phrase, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. What is he saying here? He's speaking of being offered as a sacrifice that is upon another sacrifice. To be offered upon another sacrifice is what we need to pay attention to. It would be like somebody giving something to you and then adding something to it. It's a sacrifice upon another. Now, Jesus, how many people believe that Jesus gave his life for you? Okay. And then in our mindset, in our humble speaking, we say, there's nothing else we can give. Jesus gave himself. Do you realize there is an offering that that to please God needs to be added to Jesus' offering? I hope I have your attention. You see, 
is something that we don't hear much about or talk much about, but the Bible mentions this certain kind of offering that's added to an offering, listen, over 150 times in Scripture. You might not have heard it before, maybe you have, but we're going to talk about it today. It's called a drink offering. Now, I see the looks on your face. A drink offering, 150 times in Scripture, a drink offering is mentioned. And do you know in translation what Paul is saying here when he's saying, I want to offer myself upon this other offering? He's saying, I want to offer myself as a drink offering. You'll see that in translation. That's exactly what he's trying to say here. He referenced this thing. He's ba- basically, he's saying, if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice that is coming from your faith, I will rejoice. Now, he doesn't just say it once. You can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, because I know you want some biblical proof. And you can look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and read between verses 6 and 8. You'll be able to see that Paul, on his deathbed, the last letter that he wrote, he wrote to Timothy. And he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Verse 6 through 8, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Do you know in translation what that says? I'm ready. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. He's saying, my whole life, there's nothing left now. The last little bit of me is being poured out onto God's work. It is going to be finished. Now, how do you know he said, well, let's read the rest of it together. He says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day. And not only me, but all them that love his appearing. It's over for me. You know how Paul viewed his entire life? Oh, man, this changed me. Paul viewed, Paul viewed his whole life. Here's another day in the life of Paul, a drink offering for the Lord. You say, well, that would make more sense if we understood what a drink offering is. What people fail to realize is that God designated a certain kind of offering that he wanted us to add to the main offering, and this offering is called a drink offering. So, let's learn about this drink offering. Are you interested Let's learn what it is. You see, we're given five main offerings. If you go to the New Testament, you'll see that before Jesus Christ became flesh and blood here on this earth and gave himself for us in the Old Testament, God implemented sacrifice offerings, right? How many people are familiar with the Old Testament? In order to have fellowship with him, he implemented these offerings. He implemented feasts and he implemented offerings. If you look back, you'll see these five main offerings. You'll see the burnt offering, You'll see the meal offering. You'll see the peace offering. You'll see the sin offering. And you'll see the trespass offering. And if you look in the book of Leviticus, uh, you'll see these come along. But in these first six chapters, none of these things mention the drink offering. But then when he starts mentioning the drink offering, he mentions it 150 times. So, in most cases, I want to explain to you what it was. You see, in most cases, the drink offering was a a certain amount of wine that was added or poured on to the offering as it was being burnt. 
and the smell of the wine when it was being roasted in the fire and the steam that rose up from it symbolized the offering rising up from God as a sweet smelling savor to please God. Can I give you a picture here? So here's the altar and here's the sacrifice. Whether it be a meal offering or whether it be a ram or whether it be a goat or whether it be a lamb or whether it be a bull, and this offering is being offered. And then they bring in this hen or quart of wine and then they begin to pour this on here. And then the aroma begins to come up and you can smell that it comes up as steam right and so it rises up and the picture of that you know is it rising up and that steam rising up to meet God do you see the picture here so God implemented this and I'm explaining it to you before we read it so that you can get a a picture of what's happening here now why in the world isn't this preached on it's going to be so vital It changed my life. Listen, I'm looking at my life and my life purpose differently. I told you, this is something that's huge. So I don't want you to take my word for it and say, hey, he came up with this. I didn't come up with it. It's in the Word of God. It should be visible to everybody. And that's what they did in these customs. But understand, people didn't just do it to God. In pagan customs, they did it too. They offered to other gods. And see, this represented the steam coming up and going up to whatever deity it was that they were worshiping. But you know, the smell changes when you pour a little something in the pan, doesn't it? Doesn't the smell, the savor changes. How many people like to cook? You people must be going hungry. No more of you like to cook than that. How many people like to smell food cooked? That's better. You ever been at that Japanese restaurant? Puts that stuff on there, but then he begins to pour a little something, something on there. All of a sudden it gets over to you and it starts smelling that, you know? And then he's going to be able to make you wait and give you a little bit of something to hold you over till you get to where you can eat something bigger, but you're smelling that and it's all, you know, they're piping it out the pipe so that you can smell it because we like to smell it. And see, that's the, that's the whole look of this and the whole feel and the whole smell of this, this drink offering. It's poured onto the main offering. Now understand what happens to the drink offering. Now get this, it's important. The drink offering evaporates, it dissipates. It's not about the drink offering. It's about the main offering. When somebody cooks the the steak, and they're cooking that steak, and you pour that on there as it's on the grill, or you've marinated on it, you poured this drink offering on it. Of course, when the fire and the heat hits that, it smells. But when you bring that steak in and you eat that steak, nobody finishes the meal and says, man, that was good marinade. They say that was good steak because it's about the main thing. It's not about the supplemental thing. What I need you to see is the drink offering is the supplemental offering. It's put on top of the main offering. Now understand something. Our main offering is Jesus Christ. The drink offering is what we put on top of Jesus Christ. Now get this because I want you to see. I want you to see what the Bible says. And you can walk through it with me or you can just say, hey, I'm going to listen to Pastor Reed. And you can just, uh, 
you can just go back and read it in your own time. I'm going to start in Levit in Exodus chapter 29. Even though the first mention of a drink offering, if you want to reference this, was back in Genesis 35 when Jacob offered a drink offering. But understand, I wanted you to see what God implemented. This is Exodus chapter 29. I'm just going to read these in succession. I'm going to go right through them. We're not stopping and talk about them a whole lot, okay, in the essence of time. Exodus 29, just a couple of verses. Verse 38, Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar. Now you understand here when God's speaking in Exodus and Leviticus and Number, these things are coming from God to Moses to tell the people, this is what I want you to do. You get that, right? This is God's mind. You say, well, Pastor, you went to Old Testament. You lost me because I'm not in the Old Testament. You're serving the same God that was in the Old Testament, the God of today, yesterday, and tomorrow, the God that, that had this, uh, this system that He put in place. Now, He gave us Jesus, but He gave us Jesus. He gave us this to represent what we need to put with the offering of Jesus. So, get this. Now, this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar, two lambs of the first year, Day by day continually, the one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning, the other lamb thou shalt offer at evening, and with the one lamb a tenth deal of flour mingled with the part of hen of a beaten oil, and a fourth part of hen of wine for a what? Somebody tell me. Tell me again. The other lamb shalt thou offer at evening, and shalt do according to the meat offering of the morning, and according to the what? Drink offering thereof for a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Did you hear that? Verse uh, 41. Do this, pour that on there, for a sweet savor as an offering made by fire unto who? All right. Now go to Leviticus chapter 23. I'm going to keep you close here. Leviticus chapter 23. Listen to verses 9 through 13. And the Lord, who spoke to Moses? The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give to you, and shall reap the harvest thereof. And he's going to talk about this, this offering of the first fruits. Then shall you bring a sheaf of the first fruits, the sheaf of the harvest, into the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted of you on the morrow, and on the Sabbath the priest shall wave it, and he shall offer. You shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf. A he lamb without blemish, the first year of a burnt offering unto the Lord. The meat offering thereof shall be two tenth deals fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet smelling savor. And a what? A drink offering thereof shall be of wine, the fourth part of a hen. Again, he's saying, even when you have this offering, I want you to add the drink offering. Now, Go to Numbers chapter 15. He explains these supplementary offerings here. And I'll read this in succession, but I'm giving you God's word here, okay? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, verse 1, and say unto them, When you come into the land of your habitation, which I shall give unto you, and will make an offering by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering, a sacrifice, and performing a vow, or a freewill offering, or in your solemn feast to make a sweet savor unto the Lord, or a herd of the flock. Then shall he that offereth his offering unto the Lord bring a meat offering of a tenth deal of flour, mingled with a fourth part of a hen of oil, and a fourth part of a hen of wine, for a drink offering shalt thou prepare with the burnt offering or the sacrifice for one lamb. 
Or for a ram thou shalt prepare a meat offering, two tenths deal, flour mingled with a third part of a hen of oil. And for a drink offering thou shalt offer a third part of a hen of wine, for a sweet savor unto the Lord. When thou prepare a bullock for the burnt offering, for sacrifice, performing a vow, peace offerings unto the Lord, then shall he bring with a bullet a meat offering, a three-tenths deal flour mingled with a half of a hen of oil, and thou shalt bring for a drink offering half a hen of wine for an offering made by fire, as a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord. Are you getting it? Did the Lord want a drink offering? He wanted this supplemental offering. I know what you're bringing, but I want you to add this to the other offering. Why? Well, did you miss the answer? Verse 13 of Leviticus 23, unto the Lord a sweet savor. Verse 10 of Numbers 15, a sweet savor unto the Lord. I want you to do this because, get this, this is what you will do to please me. Now, I want you to go back and understand Philippians 2, Paul said, this is what Jesus has done to please the Father. Me, this is what I'm doing with my life to please the Father. I'm pouring my life as a drink offering upon the sacrifice of the main offering, Jesus. Man, that's good. If you don't get that, understand, that redefined my whole life. You see, what we need to see is that the drink offering was poured onto the main offering. It was what was added to the main offering. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying the main offering is Jesus, the Lamb of God, which was sacrificed as a sin offering to God. But we're supposed to use our lives as a drink offering. We're supposed to pour out ourselves as a drink offering to the Lord to go along with the main offering, Jesus. So sometimes in our humble disposition, yes, we stand on that premise and say there's nothing that we can add to what Jesus has done. The Bible tells us that is not correct. If you want to please God, there's nothing you can do to add to to the power to save. But yes, there's something that you can do to add to the offering. You have to do your part. You see, this is revelational because, you see, in today's church, in contemporary Christianity, yes, there's a lot of praise about what he's done, but there's no expectation of what we need to do. We could basically come in here and do this hour this morning and do it occasionally whenever it fits into our schedule. When we're not here, we're not there, whenever it does right, and then we're going to rely on Jesus' offering. Guess what? Jesus is pleasing God. You're not. I've done this for years the wrong way. And I wonder why I didn't have the blessings of God on me. Why this wasn't working. Why this relationship wasn't working. Why I turned around every time my life was falling to pieces. Hey, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Well, good. Jesus has pleased God, but you're not pleasing God. You're not adding anything to what he's done for you. The Bible says faith without works is dead. It means you need to put it in practice. It means when God does something and you see an opportunity to pour yourself onto it, to make his name great, or to make Jesus' name great, and you fail to do it because you don't want to give your time, which is an offering. You don't want to give your resources, which is an offering. You don't want to give your compassion, which is an offering. You don't want to give your mind to think, which is an offering. You don't want to give your schedule, which is an offering. You don't want to give your voice, which is an offering. You don't want to give your your praise, which is an offering. You don't want to give your voice, which is an offering. You don't want to give that. Guess what? You fail to pour your drink offering on there. 
Yes, Jesus pleases God through the whole thing, but you've lost the blessing of God because you failed to pour your drink offering. Your life is a drink offering. The Bible says in Romans 12 when Paul said, Hey, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Do you know when he said that's your reasonable service? He said it's what you should do with the sacrifice of Jesus. You should pour your supplemental drink offering, which is yourself. Present your body as a drink offering, a supplemental sacrifice. Pour it on to Jesus' offering. It changed my life. Instead of me saying, what do I need to do for God? What can I do for God? Which direction should I take for God? I can wake up in the morning and I can say, all I need to do tomorrow is be a drink offering. God's going to do it all. Jesus has done it all. All I need to do is pour what little bit he's given to me on what he's done, right? Hey, I got excited about it because it, it redirected me. I realized the error of my way for so many years. I lived a Christian life. I would praise God for what Jesus has done. That praise was good. And he's worthy of my praise. And I would leave there and go back out and do my thing. I wasn't pouring anything on his. You see, throughout our lives we have so many things that we can pour ourselves into. I've poured myself into my job before, have you? poured myself into my career before have you what about hobbies well we pour ourselves into them don't we what about pleasures things we like we pour ourselves into them even our friend groups our material possessions there's nothing wrong any of these things i've mentioned you know there's nothing wrong with any of these things unless you knew this was coming unless your life's work is an offering that's poured out on these things instead of Jesus. Hey, I want you to hold on, right? Because I was guilty of this. I'm sure none of you are. But if your life's work is about pouring yourself into any of those things that I mentioned, instead of pouring into Jesus, then you're giving a drink offering you're just offering it to another God. And if you want to see how God feels about that, then I want you to write this down. When you go home, read in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 19, verse 13, and Jeremiah 32, verse 29, you'll see what God says, how he feels about it. Guess what? God said, hey, listen, Jeremiah, I want you to go tell them I'm going to take their blessing right away from them because they're making their life a drink offering to another God besides me. Guess what? I'm going to pull back my blessing. I'm going to pull back my hand of favor because they're pouring their self out into all these other things instead of me. 
Now hold on, because I'm going to get down to the nitty gritty here. You say, <clears throat> listen, the only thing I can, I'm pouring my life into, Pastor Mike, you don't understand, is my children. Now hold on, I want to get in your house a second, okay? There is nothing wrong with pouring into your children, into your grandchildren, as long as you're pouring into it on top of Jesus. If you're pouring into those children or grandchildren, and it's a supplemental offering that has to do something that has nothing at all to do with their spiritual well-being. If you've got them somewhere instead of having them in church, if you've got them somewhere instead of having them in youth, if you've got them somewhere instead of, uh, if you're talking to them all the time about something instead of the Lord, if you've got them somewhere consistently and you're not pouring that on there on top of Jesus' offering, then it becomes an offering to something else. Do you get that? Now, this is coming from a parent who has not been the perfect parent. I'm here to tell you. But what I'm saying is, you're called to pour onto Jesus' offering. You can say, I'm pouring into my kids, but in all that time that you're pouring into your kids, if you're not pouring into your kids on top of what Jesus is willing to pour, then it's not a supplemental offering. But if you're taking what He's done for them, and you're pouring that on too to make sure, then you're pouring into your kids. Hey, He expects you to take care of them. He expects you to provide for them. He expects you to teach them to do all these things. But we've passed another turn in life where we're trying to, to give them everything they need to go in all these different directions, and none of these directions include the Lord, they include all this. Listen, there's not a career that I need my child to have that God isn't involved in their life in every day of that career. Don't matter what, because I'm just going to have them somewhere where they're miserable. What I need to do is pour Jesus on them, pour that on them. You say, they'll get tired of hearing you pour Jesus on there. Hey, listen, that's the big cop out. The devil's made you believe that lie. Nowhere in Scripture does it says, go ye therefore and, and bear witness until somebody gets tired of hearing it. Paul said, I'll preach till they lock me up. I'll preach to do that. You know why? Because that person will hit a time when they're ready to hear it. That person will hit a time to where they need to hear it. God asks us to pour on to what He has done. And Paul looked at those Philippians and he said, I see what you've done. I'm pouring on to what you have done. When you see a brother or sister doing something that's glorifying God, pour on to it. When you see somebody in church trying to do something, whether it's a, a choir or a woman's event or a man's event or a child's event or a Bible school or a stay at home or anything that you can do, listen, you have your time, your energies to pour into it. Don't stand outside and say, hey, I'm glad somebody's doing that and God is good and Jesus is great and He's doing things. What about your drink offering? Pour on, pour on anything that makes Jesus look good. What a picture. Jesus, the perfect sinless sacrifice, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He gave His life for a sacrifice for our sin. What can we add to that sacrifice? What can we add to God's sacrifice? What do we add? can we add to Jesus' sacrifice? Our drink offering. What is our drink offering? Our drink offering is our life. That's what will please God. This is what will be that sweet smelling savor to God. This thought should transform our life, but not just our life, our life mission as a Christian. How do we know if we're pleasing God? Answer, by being able to determine if our life is being lived as a drink offering to God. Our lives are being poured out 
onto any work that is a representation of the work that Jesus did, whether it be witnessing to others, serving others, worshiping God, learning more about Him in His Word, teaching others, or anything that makes Jesus, who is the main sacrifice, more visible. He is the main sacrifice. As for me, now I have a statement to make to you. I have determined that my life's goal is just to be a supplemental offering. All I want is to be a supplemental offering. That's all he wants of me. You think sometimes, well, what would you want somebody to say to define you? Hey, he was a drink offering for God. Could it, could it be any more prestigious thing for God to think, hey, you were a drink offering for me? You see, if I can pour my life onto what Jesus has done, then I know God will be pleased. I don't need just to rest with the fact that Jesus has done it all. You say, we like saying Jesus has done it all. It does, because it, it leaves us with nothing to do. Did you hear that? There's something that God wants me to do. There's something that God wants you to do. He wants you to add to what He has done. Now I'm going to go back to where we started. Because it gave new life to me. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, James 4, 14. For what is your life? It is even a vapor. And what, is, what does that drink offering give up when it's put on his offering? Do you see this picture? What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Hey, at the end of the day, if my life can be the vapor that comes off of that offering of Jesus when my drink offering is poured into it, the rest of that chapter says what you need to do is live in God's will. Amen. Do what He wants you to do. So God, if you would have me do this, I'll do it. At best, we're a supplemental offering. Let me ask you today, these two things in closing. See, I've determined my life's goal is to let me be a drink offering poured upon the offering that Jesus made. My prayer, and this is the way that God's instructed me to pray. I thought, God, how can, how can this change my life? What can I do to, what can you do to help me? My prayer, Father God, Show me how to be a drink offering that will please you. He'll show you. Let's all look at our life right now and at the same time consider the life of Jesus like I asked you to do at the beginning of this message. What he's done for us to offer himself for us. And I'll ask you this question, number one. Have you used his offering? Have you accepted his offering? Have you taken the offering of Jesus Christ and confessed to God that you're a sinner and ask him to use that offering? Just like these children 
had to do. They came and got it. They had the offering. It was there. But have you come and, and taken the altar? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you asked Jesus to forgive your sins? If you have it today, God loves you. He gave Jesus to die for you because your sin keeps you from God. My sin keeps me from God. Jesus never sinned. He became that offering, that perfect sacrifice. You have to take his offering and ask him to use it to forgive your sins, to come into a relationship with God. You can do that today. I will pray with you right after the service. Come here. Please don't wait any longer. It will change your life. You say, preacher, I've done that. Good. Let me ask you, have you or are you giving your life then since you've been saved as a drink offering to add to his offering so that you can please him? You say, maybe I'm not. What do I do? You come bow before him and you say, Father God, I want to be a drink offering. You talk to him just like you would your father. What can I do to please you? He'll show you. He'll open doors. Use this invitation time to talk to him. Father God, I love you. I praise you and I thank you for this day. I thank you for the, Lord, the the directness of your word, the clarity of your word, something, Lord, that we just don't think or hear a lot about. But God, you put it right there for us and Lord, Paul brought it out for us. I, I just appreciate him and you speaking to him. I appreciate the offering made to us of Jesus Christ. I pray, God, today if there's someone here that's lost, they see their need for salvation. Lord, I pray, Lord, you would just remove any fear they have. Let them come today and, and accept that offering of Jesus' life for theirs. I pray for their salvation today. I pray, God, today that those that are here that are saved. Lord, let us look at our lives. We know what kind of drink offering we are for you or whether we're just relying on your offering. You know where we're at right now in this life. I pray that you would remove fears, that you would muzzle the devil's mouth from being able to speak to minds to tell them not to communicate with you right now. Stop any kind of negative thought that would quench your spirit and God move in this congregation and Christians, Lord. Lord, we get busy with life and caught up in what we're offering or pouring into. We become complacent, relying on what you've done for us, and we're not pouring anything on yours. God, I pray, show us ourselves right now. Change, Lord. Change hearts, Lord. Hear the prayers of repentance in Jesus' name. Amen.